2022 is almost upon us. It's going to be an amazing year. We're going to be talking about purpose next year, living a life on mission, knowing what your natural gifts are, your spiritual gifts are. David Youth is going to be kicking us off in January. Then Ken Weiss, Jim Butler, Wes Beecham, Brian Broadway, Brian Doyle, Mike Gonzalez, Pat Morley, who's a mentor of mine. You guys know who Pat Morley is? Stan Murray, Tom Stroop in the house, Kristen Beston, and Dwight Bain. And then at Ironman Connect... The captains for each month, Chuck Yex, Bob Troxel, Ali Flores, Jim Butler. Jim, doing double duty. I like that. Barry Bashar, Joe Sparrow, Jason Walker, Jesse Stanley, Brian Hamill, Jack Levine, Dave Ogden, Dave Greenfield. So it's going to be great next year. It's awesome. Now, we do have a quick announcement related to bed build. One of the ministries that Ironman supports is Sleep in Heavenly Peace, and there's a bed build that's coming up, and I wanted this young man right here to give a little announcement to it. Hi, guys. Keith Strong, for those of you who haven't met me. I know many of you have participated with building beds over the last couple of years. We have two going on today and tomorrow. What's unique about the bed builds we're doing are these beds are going to Haiti. A couple years ago, the island was hit by a hurricane. The orphanage was leveled. They've rebuilt the orphanage, but they don't have a whole lot of furniture, and kids are still sleeping on the ground. So not only does no kids sleep on the ground in our town, they're not going to sleep on the ground in Haiti. But 50 beds over today and tomorrow. The bed build is at 259 North Ivy Lane. It's over in the Pine Hills neighborhood. There's a group sponsoring it today. It's actually Jamie's wife and her group for today. And then an individual is sponsoring it for tomorrow. But if you can stop by and help us, it starts at 8.30 this morning and goes until about noon. And then again, 8.30 tomorrow morning. And it'll go until probably 1 or 2 o'clock until we're all finished. Thank you. You guys need to see Keith afterwards. He would love to have some more support for that. Pete, the floor is yours. Good morning, everybody. It is a distinct pleasure for me to be able to introduce your speaker this morning. Can you hear me okay? I got to learn to keep this motion together. Thank you. Um, my son Dave is, of course, one of the most important things about my life, and I didn't know what the topic was today when he asked me to introduce him, but I'm honored to be here since it's about fathers. A couple of things you need to know about Dave. You've He's been around you for a while, so you may know some of these, but today is his 27th wedding anniversary. He's a brave man to be here instead of at home. Congratulations to Dave and Marianne, a wonderful couple. He's the father of two amazing children, and I can vouch for that fact. Ethan and Mia, college age now and doing well. He's the table captain, in case you didn't know, for the redeemed table. For some reason, I understand the redeemed have to sit outside. <laughs> and he's a member of Mosaic Church. You probably knew that. In addition to that, a couple of things. He's a big sports fan. I noticed a couple of you guys have sports paraphernalia on. He was also a sports person. He played soccer as a youth. He was a rower in high school and college captain of the UCF rowing team. We had uh, many a wonderful weekend traveling to watch that team. And he's a big football fan. UCF, Tampa Bay, and that team from up north who's uh, going to be playing tomorrow night for the Big Ten Championship. Michigan, the Wolverines. Go blue. Go blue. So you know what we'll be doing tomorrow night. We'll be watching at 8 o'clock in case you didn't know. Dave is a caring, loving husband, father, brother, uncle, 
and son. He's been a gift to his mother and me since the day he was born. But most importantly, by God's grace, I think he'll agree with this, he's grown into a godly man of faith who loves Jesus and loves being a part of a group like this where you can keep each other accountable. Gentlemen, I'm proud to introduce your speaker this morning, my favorite elder son, David. Thank you, Dad. Tough act to follow. You know, when I found that I was going to be teaching Fathering God's Way, I I laughed. I literally laughed because the last several years I've been in a season of fathering mid-teenagers to young adults. And if you've been there, done that, and you've got the t-shirt, then you know what I'm talking about. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll give you my favorite quote from Mark Twain that'll explain it. Twain says, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. (laughs) That is so true, right? Something else that's not easy is parenting your child through a life transition. My wife and I just experienced this at the end of the summer of this year when we drove our daughter up to college and moved her into her freshman dorm. And as you can imagine, it was a very emotional time for all of us. And that car ride up and back, it was a very reflective time for me. I was reflecting back to my fathering. You know, you look back to when they were kids and now they're adults. And you think about your strengths and weaknesses. And it's in that space that God gave me three things that I'm going to pass on to you, my three Bs, that'll help you father God. God's way. The first of the three B's is to be there for your kids. Now, I didn't say you had to be amazing for your kids. You just need to be available for them. As fathers, we need to establish a pattern of consistency. If we say we're going to be somewhere, we need to be there. And this builds trust with our kids. If they can trust us with the little things, then they can certainly trust us with the bigger things that pop up in their lives. As I fathered my kids, I made a point of being there for them. I was at their practices. I was at their games or performances, etc. And when they were little, I made a point of reading to them every night. And so even if I was on business travel, I would take the book with me and read to them over the phone. But enough about me. What about the Holy Trinity? Is the Holy Trinity there for us? Well, of course. Jesus confirmed this point as he finished his great commission in Matthew 28, 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That sounds like a pretty available parent there. The second B is that we need to be praying for our kids. When my kids were young and you asked me, hey, what's your prayer life like? To be honest, I'd pretty much say, I pray a lot about myself and I'll pray about them if they're sick or maybe there's a little struggle. But for the most part, it was all about me. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago, one of my Ironman brothers opened my eyes. He's praying for his kids every day and he's not just praying for stuff today. He's praying way out in the future that God would direct their paths, that God would give them a spouse who's God-fearing and loves God more than his own child. And it just blew me away. And and ever since then, I've been praying that way for my kids because it's a spiritual battle. We know this. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Men as fathers, particularly of young adults, we provide them with car insurance, health insurance, and maybe a AAA membership. But how are we 
protecting them spiritually. We need to be praying over our kids and bringing them before the Lord daily. The final B is to be accepting of our children. Gene Getzen, Measure of Man, called for a need to understand our children. I think I like the word accepting even better because it takes it understanding to the next level. We need to accept our kids for who they are right now free from expectations of who we think they should be and who we really think we want them to be. This one was really hard for me. Over the last few years, my relationship with one of my kids had been deteriorating. And since it takes two to have a relationship, I'm not silly enough to think, well, it's all my kid's fault, right? And so I took the advice of another Ironman, you can see the theme here, and went to personal counseling with a Christian therapist. And so over the next few months, the therapist and I, with the help of the Holy Spirit, were able to peel back the onion of my character to see what really drove me. And here's what I learned, and if you're wired like me, I'm going to save you some money, so you can thank me later. The big thing I learned was that I'm performance-driven, and I'm performance-driven because that makes me feel useful. Now, at a conscious level, I would just stop right there. But subconsciously, we were able to dig deeper and find that I had a deep-seated fear of not being wanted. And so, as long as I was performing well, then I would be useful. And if I was useful, then I'd be wanted. That's good. But what if my performance dipped? Well, then maybe I'm not so useful. And then if I'm not so useful, maybe people don't want me. And that's a bold-faced lie. When we have a Heavenly Father with his hand raised up and says, Hey, I want you. I want all of you. And I sent my son to die on a cross for you. So this revelation convicted me. And it convicted me for two reasons. The first was that I believed a lie that I wasn't wanted. The second one was, if I was so hard on myself, what did that look like for my wife, my kids? How hard had I been on them to perform to my expectations? For example, I would always get angry at my kids when I got sick because their bad performance, getting sick, affected my performance because now I've got to miss work, I've got to take them to the doctor, I've got to stay home with them. And this realization was humbling for me. And I was blessed recently at a family dinner. At the end of dinner, I was able to just sit with my family and say, look, here's all the stuff I've discovered. I laid it all out and I said, I apologize to them for not being supportive and caring when they really needed it. And so I have all these epiphanies that I'm telling you about and I'm trying to come up with this message and I'm trying to put it all together in a big picture that you all can understand and grasp a big takeaway and I'm struggling with the words. But fortunately, I happen to be reading a book called Searching for Grace by Scotty Smith and Russ Masterson. You may recognize the name Scotty Smith. He's actually taught at Ironman Coffee a couple years back. I'm a big fan of Scotty Smith and I was drawn to this book which featured deep conversations between Scotty, who's a pastor's pastor. He's mentoring a mid-career pastor in Russ. And so these conversations are covering how both these men have found grace amidst incredible brokenness in their lives. And one particular conversation just hit the nail on the head. And I was like, yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I wanted to say. It says it way better than I could have. And so I'm going to read that to you. Russ starts the conversation off. He says, many of us give lip service to the idea that our children belong to God. But in practice, we rely on them to define us or to set our mood. This reality reveals that we don't just love them, but are actually using them to justify our own existence. When I find myself in this kind of selfish, vampire-like parenting, I know I'm sucking love from them instead of reflecting God's love to them. This puts undue pressure on our children to validate us, and it reflects our lack of belief that we are already worthy because of the gospel. 
And then Scotty responded, what enables us to parent to our child's heart, even while they are behaving in ways that appall or embarrass us, is our belovedness. That is, after all, the way our Heavenly Father parents us. Does God accept us as his children? Of course he does. Ephesians 2, 1 through 6 drives this point home. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Anybody? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. In conclusion, fathering God's way requires that we remember that we are God's beloved, and we need to father our children like they are too. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave. Some powerful stuff. And, and Pete, thank you for being here. Uh, I was moved by your introduction. I'm a new dad, so I just was thinking about what that feels like for you to be able to introduce your son. I don't know. My mind was going. I was definitely moved by that. Well, guys, we're going to spend the rest of the time this morning at our tables. Looks like a packed house. There is a lot of tables outside. Some of the tables will move outside. There is one more table back there, but there's no chairs. Wow, we have a lot of guys here this morning. This is awesome. Table captains, the floor is yours and we're going to spend the rest of the time in discussion around three questions that Dave came up with. Thanks.